Good morning. This morning's Bible reading you'll find in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. It's on page 1035 of the church Bibles. Whilst you're finding that, just to set the scene, in chapters 5 and 6, Luke tells us that Jesus had been preaching, healing and casting out demons around the various towns and cities in the area of Galilee. And this generated a large following of disciples from whom he selected 12 to assist in his ministry and others keen to hear his words and witness or experience his miracles. Then Jesus addresses this crowd, but mainly his disciples, with what we now call the Sermon on the Mount. Now in chapter 7, Jesus, with this crowd in tow, heads off to Capernaum, an important city on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, which Jesus adopts as the centre of his Galilean ministry. So remember, he's just preached that amazing Sermon on the Mount. Luke 7, beginning at verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion servant whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good, well, it's good to be back with you again. Uh, obviously, I bring greetings from Emmanuel Church. Uh, we love our partnership with you in the gospel. Uh, and this last week... Um, uh, we've been able to work together, haven't we, on uh, the Easter experience, which if you don't know about that, that was a great ministry this last week, the great outreach to uh, those in year fives in various local primary schools. Uh, they came here and saw uh, the Easter uh, story um, acted out in, uh, in different ways, and it, it's a brilliant outreach. I, I saw it on the Wednesday afternoon, went round it, and uh, I thought, 
this year was, was the best I've seen. I thought it was just fantastic. Uh, so if you've not been before next year, uh, I'd encourage you to come along on the Wednesday afternoon when there's the community afternoon and, and bring others because it really is brilliant. Well, it, it's uh, great as well to be able to come and open God's Word uh, and look at it together uh, and study it together and, and learn from it, learn from what God has to say to us today. So if you've closed your Bibles, please open them again uh, to Luke chapter 7 uh, and verses 1 to 10. And I'm going to lead us in prayer. Father, we pray, please, that as we come to your word, you would help us to be ready to listen. Help us to be ready to be changed by you and to be humble before you. Open our eyes to Jesus, we pray. Amen. I wonder what qualities you admire in a person. What things that you look at and you think, yeah, that, that stands out. That's something I'd love to be. Maybe it's someone who's particularly compassionate, kind, sacrificial in their service of others. I heard, uh, I was reminded recently of... Um, the character of a, a, a preacher called John Stott, many of you will have heard of him. He was uh, a famous preacher uh, and church leader in the middle of London. Uh, and he was, uh, his character was so servant-hearted that it really struck people. He, he was well-known throughout the world as a preacher, still is well-known throughout the world, and for his writings. And yet, every day, he would be the one who would empty his secretary's waste paper basket. And one time on a trip to Argentina, he was going with a companion. They arrived uh, at their destination late at night. And when it was raining, they, it, they'd got muddy as they got there. Uh, and then the next morning, the companion woke to find John Stott uh, cleaning their shoes. He's a servant-hearted guy. I wonder what you look up to in others. Maybe it's that kind of thing. Maybe it's something else. In this passage, we're going to find something, a quality in a person that amazes Jesus. Now, that doesn't happen very often. In fact, in the Gospels, there's only two times where it says that Jesus is amazed at people, and one of them is negative. This is the only positive time. This is the only time where it says positively, Jesus was amazed at someone. Now, just thinking about that is quite something, isn't it? To think that there is someone who amazed the Son of God. What was it about this man that amazed Jesus? And actually, this is the big point of the passage. You might be thinking, well, it's a healing miracle, and it is a healing miracle. Maybe that's the big point. But actually, commentators will say, actually, that's not really the big point. I mean, it is amazing that Jesus healed uh, someone and the way that he did it. But actually, the big point is what amazes Jesus about this man? So what is it? Is it his worthiness? Because that's what everyone uh, seems in the crowd would say. This is a worthy man. That we'll see in a, in a minute. That's where they come to. They say, this man is someone who deserves Jesus' help. 
Why? Well, we're introduced to him in verse 2. Have a look down at at your Bibles. Um, Verse 1 tells us this happened after Jesus finished preaching the Sermon on the Mount uh, and that he entered Capernaum. And then we're introduced to this man. He's a centurion. says there was a centurion's servant, but actually it's the centurion who is the the main man uh, that Jesus focuses on. This centurion. So to be a centurion means he's in the Roman army. The Romans occupying this territory, this centurion is is a military man, a man of rank within the Roman army. He's not the highest rank, but he does have charge over a hundred soldiers. As I say, the Romans uh, with the occupying forces, here is a military official. And we find out that his servant is ill. There was a centurion's servant whom his master valued highly, who was ill and about to die. So it says, this centurion valued this servant who was ill. Now the word valued there, we might think, oh well maybe he just liked his work, was a bit annoyed that this guy was sick and about to die and actually you know, wanted him better for for his service. But that's not really what the word valued means there. Uh, Elsewhere, the word is translated uh, uh, as honored or even precious. So this servant was honored by this centurion. He was precious to this centurion. Now, just think about that. That in itself would mean this centurion has qualities that we would admire, wouldn't it? He values those under him finds them precious. And he has compassion on this servant, doesn't he? He wants him well, wants him healed. All good things. But more than that, having heard about Jesus, he sends some of the elders of the Jews to Jesus, asks them to go on his behalf. And that is surprising. The centurion, you see, is not a Jew. We know that from later on, that he's not a Jew. He's therefore a Gentile. Any non-Jews are Gentiles. So he's a foreigner. As we've already said, he is a military man. He's a, a, a centurion in the Roman army, the occupying forces. And therefore, the Jews should hate him, really. He's a military man, oppressive of the oppressive Roman rule. They shouldn't like him. And uh, Jews viewed those who were not Jews, Gentiles, as unclean. So there's a lot of barriers here between this centurion and, and the Jews, let alone the Jewish leaders. And so it's remarkable, actually, that this centurion could ask the Jewish leaders, and they go to Jesus. Now, you might think, well, maybe he's a centurion, maybe this asking is a bit like, I saw recently a the clip of the Godfather, you know, when the Marlon Brando character says, you know, I'm going to make an offer he can't refuse. Maybe it's that kind of asking, you know, at the end of a spear kind of asking. And yet it clearly isn't that, is it? Because these Jewish leaders come to Jesus, and verse 4 it says, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him. 
They're, they're not just there under sufferance. They want to be there and they want to plead for this man. And we see why in verse 4. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. He loves our nation. He doesn't treat the people with, or the place with disdain. He doesn't just wreck the place. But he loves the nation. I doubt that many uh, military leaders of occupying forces, could, uh, that could be said of them. You can't imagine those in Ukraine saying of a Russian military leader, he loves our nation. But it was true of this man. And furthermore, he'd built the synagogue. That is, the place where the Jews could gather for instruction and worship of the Lord God. We don't know whether he himself believed, but he was prepared to build this synagogue. And therefore, they say, he deserves to have you come and do this. He's a worthy man, Jesus. And I think we'd agree, wouldn't we? This centurion is impressive. Compassionate, respected, even by those who should view him as their enemy. He was successfully reaching across class divides, racial divides, religious divides. He is a loving and kind man, and we would think, yeah, those are qualities we would admire. And you might think that you could therefore just head straight from verse 5 down to verse 9. Have a look. Uh, you could go straight down almost. He says, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. Verse 9, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. That's how we would think it would go. When Jesus heard about this guy, he was amazed at him. But yet... As impressive as those things are, they're not what amazes Jesus. They're not the things that take him aback. The people were impressed, we were impressed. But what could be more amazing than those things? Well, before Jesus arrives at the centurion's house to heal the servant, more people arrive from the house. Friends of the centurion are sent by the centurion. And they say, verses 6 and 7. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. Why is Jesus amazed at this man? Is it his worthiness? No, that's not what it is. Is it, is it his unworthiness? Because that's what we get there, isn't it, at the beginning of what he says. He says, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. In fact, he says, he so, so views his own unworthiness, he says, that's why I didn't come to you. Because we might misunderstand that, mightn't we? The fact that Jesus didn't go to the man. Oh, sorry, the fact that the man... The centurion didn't come to Jesus. We might misunderstand that because we might think, ah, Roman centurion sending the Jewish leaders off to go and get Jesus doesn't, do, you know, doesn't see it, it sees it as beneath himself to go to Jesus. But no, he's saying that's not why I, I didn't come. 
I didn't come because I don't think I deserve to come. I'm unworthy even to come to you. So is this what amazes Jesus? Because again, this would amaze us, wouldn't it? If we know about this centurion, all that he's like, all that he's done, and then we hear him say, I am not worthy, we would go, that surprises us. Maybe another thing to add to the list of good qualities. He doesn't even see his worthiness. He thinks he's worthless. Now we need to be careful here. Because sometimes people think that what the Bible calls us to is simply self-hatred. You know, the, the kind of person who just thinks they are terrible. Even when they do something good, they do something well, and you praise them for it, and yet they always manage to come back with something they did wrong. You know that kind of person? Maybe you, they invite you around for dinner, and you go, and it smells lovely as you go in. You go, and you sit down, and they bring it all out. It looks amazing. And the first thing they do is say, what's wrong with it? Oh, the potatoes aren't crispy enough. And I'm so sorry, the gravy's, you know, a bit thin. And you're not thinking about that at all, but they immediately come out with the things that are wrong. And people sometimes think that's what humility is. It's just always doing ourselves down. But as C.S. Lewis famously said, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And the problem with this kind of person, this kind of always doing yourself down kind of person, is that they're very turned in on themselves, actually, aren't they? Like a hedgehog that's curled into a ball, all they see is themselves and any praise, any positive comments just hit spikes. And that isn't what the centurion's doing here. He's not actually like that. He doesn't say, I'm not worthy because, well, frankly, the synagogue was rubbish. Yeah, it could have been prettier or more stable or something like that. He you know, he's not just doing himself down like that. He's not just curved in on himself saying, oh, no, I'm just rubbish. It's not low self-esteem. We've got to be careful because what the Bible calls us to might seem like that, but it's not quite. Well, we've spent long enough thinking about what it isn't. It's time to think what it is. What is it that Jesus is amazed by? Well, you may have got there a long time ago. But it's in verses 8 and 9. Have a look. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. That's what it is, isn't it? It's faith. That's what stuns Jesus. It's his faith. I wonder if that's on your list of things you admire in someone. Is it? It's very easy for it not to be. Uh, I wonder, sometimes people might talk about Christian values. 
It's interesting, if you look up Christian values online, you can find all kinds of things on there, and often lists, you know, the three Christian values, or the five Christian values, or the 15 Christian values. You can pick a number, any number you like, and, and there'll be a list of them. And it's interesting as you look through those lists, how often you, you get, I mean, really good qualities on there, don't you? Love, you know, compassion, respect, you know, all these kind of things where you think, yeah, these are good qualities to have. Are they the Christian values? But it, it's interesting how rarely faith is on there. And as you look at this passage, you think, it really should be, shouldn't it? Because Christian values have got to be the things that Jesus values. And he clearly values faith. It should be there, shouldn't it? But we need more content, don't we? What we need to ask is, what does this faith consist of that this centurion had? So we need to take a careful look. Verses 7 and 8, just the end of verse 7, uh, the centurion saying, but say the word and my servant will be healed. And then he gives this illustration. He, he likens Jesus to himself as the military commander, doesn't he? He says, Jesus, I see, I see something about you. I've understood something about you. Now, even there, just, just take note of that, that Christian faith is focused on Jesus. It's about seeing something about Jesus. Uh, just in this passage, we're not going to get everything that there is to say about faith. Faith is a theme that's going to run through the next few passages, and you'll build up more understanding of faith as you go through. But notice here, it is focused on Jesus. And the centurion is saying, I've understood something about you, Jesus, that, that in some way you're a bit like me as a military commander. So he says, doesn't he, I say to the soldiers under me, go, and they go, and come, and they come, do this, and they do it. And Jesus, I can see in you an authority. But it is a far greater authority than the military command that the centurion has, isn't it? Because Jesus, he's saying, Jesus, I know you can command sickness. You could just speak and the sickness would be dealt with. Well, and the centurion knows he can't do that. But he's saying, Jesus, I see in you an authority. But notice, will you, that the beginning of verse 8 is not what you would expect. He says, for I myself am a man under authority. Now, we would expect him to say, given what follows, I am a man in authority. I'm a man in authority, and I say to this person, do it, and he does it. But he doesn't. He says, I'm a man under authority. Why does he say that? Well, he's saying something about Jesus. He's saying, Jesus, I see you're a person in authority, and that you are ministering with the authority of God. That there is divine authority in you. This centurion has understood something essential. He's joined the dots. Come to the right and clear conclusion. We saw earlier in that video, that sort of all-age friendly video about faith, 
that faith is, is not an absence of reason, is it? It's coming to a logical conclusion based on the evidence, but putting your trust then in that conclusion. And that's what the centurion has done. He said, I've seen Jesus who you are. I've, I've heard about you, and I've come to the conclusion you are the authority. That your healing of people is not magical. You've not sort of come across some magical way of healing people that you've tapped into some power. No, you yourself are in this position of authority, under the authority of God and in this position of authority yourself. And then in the light of seeing Jesus' authority, he then sees himself and sees his own unworthiness. See, the unworthiness is still important. I'm not writing that off. The seeing that he doesn't deserve to come to Jesus is really important. But it's in the light of seeing Jesus, I've seen your authority. And therefore I see myself as unworthy. Faith here is seeing Jesus' authority and being humbled by it. Seeing Jesus' authority and being humbled by it. Eyes open to him and therefore on our knees. And that's what amazes Jesus. Far more even than the compassion or the acts of service or any of the other things that we saw that might make him worthy. What gets Jesus is that this man has faith. Which means we need to ask, how do we approach Jesus? Maybe you come to Jesus hoping he will see the good things you have done, your good qualities. Maybe you hope he will see your worthiness, that he'll be impressed by you. Or maybe you come to him, if you're honest, wanting to manipulate him, as if he should obey your commands. We might do that. Or maybe, conversely, you don't come to Jesus because of self-hatred, because of unworthiness, loathing yourself and therefore assuming Jesus wouldn't want anything to do with you. Both, of course, are curved in on themselves. One liking what it sees and one hating it. But both are focused on self. But we need to come to Jesus, with eyes on him, recognizing his authority, recognizing that there is the King of kings and Lord of lords, looking at him and in the light of who he is, bowing humbly before him, recognizing we don't deserve to be in his presence. And one exciting thing about this is that anyone can do it doesn't matter your age, your IQ, your nationality, your gender. Actually, that is one of the big points of these stories in chapter 7 onwards. Here is a non-Jew, and then you will see a widow, and then a bit later a woman with a bad reputation. But they all demonstrate faith. Anyone can do this, which is great, isn't it? Because some of the things we admire in others are things that we cannot possibly do. Maybe we don't have the ability, maybe we don't have the means, 
But the thing that gets Jesus' pulse racing is something anyone can do. Because any can look at Jesus and see this. Which does also uh, contradict the way some people talk about faith, doesn't it? Sometimes people say, oh, I wish I had your faith. As if it was an ability that, well, some have got it and others don't. But actually, faith isn't like that, is it? This centurion is saying to us, actually, you can look at Jesus and see his authority and be flawed by it as well. Any can have faith in Jesus if you will see him for who he is. And the great promise of the Bible is that God lifts up the humble. It's the great pattern of the Bible that the way up is down. Jesus himself humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so God exalted him to the highest place, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And he promises us, in James chapter 4, verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. So the question for us is, as we look at this passage, Will we imitate the centurion by looking at Jesus and responding with faith, seeing Jesus' authority and being humbled before him? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you for the example of this centurion and his faith. Father, help us Open our eyes to Jesus, his authority, his greatness. Fill our eyes and our minds and our hearts with how great Jesus is, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one in authority. And help us, Father, then to see ourselves as undeserving, to be in his presence, Humble us before him. Amen. Amen. Amen.